Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. We are just inching our way towards Christmas. Just a week and a day away. You know, the only thing about uh, Christmas being on a Sunday is we don't get that extra day off of work. (laughs) Oh, but this is, what, the most wonderful time of the year. And it's a great time to be in the landscape, in the garden, course there are plenty of plants that are synonymous with Christmas they've sort of come to symbolize Christmas we bring them inside there's some things we purchase this time of year we keep inside that give us that Christmas feel plants are, are an important part of Christmas I mean for goodness sakes look at the Christmas tree the Christmas tree has got a steep history in our celebration of this time of year of course I guess probably the number one tree for Christmas trees and particularly in producing them is the Fraser firs. That's the one people want. The only trouble is we can't grow them too well here in the south, at least our part of the south. The folks in North Carolina can produce a wonderful Fraser fir and of course further up into Canada and, and parts of the Midwest. They do a great job with the Fraser fir but we can't necessarily do that one here. Now here in the south Probably there were two important native trees that became Christmas trees for folks in the olden days. They would just go into the woods and harvest a uh, red cedar, the eastern red cedar, which is actually not a cedar at all. The eastern red cedar is a juniper, but we just call it cedar. It smells like cedar. It's got that red wood when you cut it down, eastern red cedar. And then there would have been the Virginia pine. Now, the Virginia pine or the scrub pine. I like the scrub pine. It grows wild, and we don't even think about it as using it in our landscapes because, of course, we've got so many pines that grow naturally uh, that we probably don't feel like we need to have a pine in our landscapes. But the Virginia pine has these really short leaves compared to the other tall pines we have. Uh, Virginia pine can get tall, but it's sort of just a scrubby pine, which is how it gets its other name. And you will know a Virginia pine because their needles come in pairs. So there's a a, a set of needles, there's two of them, and they are sort of twisted, sort of turned. But back in the day, uh, when before the Fraser fir became popular, folks in the southeast were growing this Virginia pine to sell as Christmas trees. And then things changed, uh, really with the the introduction of Leland Cypress. Leland Cypress is still used in our Georgia Christmas tree industry, but some other plants have been introduced, like the arborvitae, particularly uh, Green Giant, because it grows fast. Now, of course, it's cut before it gets to its uh, full mature height, 
in the, in the landscape, they make great screens and they can give you some privacy. Uh, but because it's so fast growing, it's wonderful for our uh, southern Christmas tree industry. And then there's probably one more I've seen at Christmas tree farms around our state, and that is the Arizona cypress. It's a true cypress, but it's very drought tolerant. It doesn't mind the heat where many cypresses don't prefer heat. Uh, but the Arizona cypress, being from Arizona and parts of the western United States, it's got a blue ashy foliage that gives you that frosted look. I love it in the landscape to give you that blue-gray color, but of course it makes a great Christmas tree, and that is one of the more uh, common trees you'll find that is that are growing on our uh, Georgia Christmas tree farms. But like I said, as you go further north into North Carolina and the mountainous areas, you will find Christmas trees that are growing pretty much exclusively, the beloved and in high demand, Fraser furs. So, with that being said, just know that the Fraser furs you purchase at a Christmas tree farm or at the box stores, wherever you go, they weren't grown here. <laughs> Those Fraser furs were grown elsewhere and brought to the South. I like the idea, though, that the Georgia Christmas tree industry uh, still produces plants that grow well here. Uh, they, they shape them, they trim them, so they give you that Christmas tree look. But of course, None of these that we grow in Georgia look quite like, uh, quite like that Fraser fir. So with all that in mind and in the spirit of Christmas, I thought that today we would talk, since we're getting closer and closer, we would talk about some more plants that are truly Christmas plants for whatever reason. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, that they are grown because of Christmas. Some of them are. But some of them go with Christmas because they're evergreen. Of course, in the winter when Christmas happens, uh, what looks good, what is, what's got foliage, there's plenty of plants that uh, have become known with Christmas just because they're evergreen. And of course, some may flower, but then some are going to have berries. Uh, you know, classic Christmas color, green, green leaves, red, red berries. There are plenty of plants uh, that work uh, for that kind of Christmassy color combination, if you will. So like I said, today we're going to talk about essentially the plants of Christmas. Some of these you can introduce into your landscape and some of them you'll want to keep indoors. But that's okay because we can grow gardens indoors these days with the help of grow lights and uh, some of the modern technology that's come around. Uh, so we're going to get to that. I do want to mention, though, that if you've uh, just joining us for the program and don't know much about New Southern Garden, we'd love for you to learn more about the program online at NewSouthernGarden.com, where you can find every episode of the program we've ever had. We're pushing into our fifth year we still got i guess we're still in year number four uh, but we've got plenty of episodes for you to go back and listen to plenty shows uh, that are going to give you the inspiration you need the education to to make wise choices in the landscape and of course that's all at newsoutherngarden.com you can also send us a um a, a question or a comment if, if you've got something bad wrong in your landscape, something's not working the way you hoped, we'd be glad to help you with that on our upcoming Q&A episode at the end of this month, the last Saturday of the month, which, like I said, we, we may actually do something special on the last Saturday of this month, but we'll get to questions soon enough. And then, of course, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. It's a great way to send us pictures. It's easy. Just tag us in there, share it on our page. Uh, of course, videos. We've had some folks send us some videos with questions in their landscape so we can actually 
actually see what's going on. Because in this business, like I've said, I haven't said it in a long time, but uh, a picture is worth more than a thousand words because sometimes we just have to look at the plant or sometimes we have to look at the bug or the insect that's bothering our plants. So be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We want to have you join us as a part of our community. Well, let's jump right in into today's topic about plants that remind us of Christmas, plants that are for Christmas, sort of, or plants that have become known uh, to partner well with Christmas. I think we probably would all agree that one of the the most Christmassy plants that we look for uh, around this time of year is going to be the poinsettia. And of course, poinsettias are those gorgeous euphorbias. They have a latexy sap. If you've ever taken a leaf off or broken a branch by accident or on purpose, uh, you'll notice that it oozes out this latexy sap. So with that in mind, poinsettias uh, have some toxicity to them. And if you're allergic to certain kinds of latex, then this plant needs to be handled with care. Uh, doesn't bother me so much, but I do know of some folks who who get some reaction from the sap of the poinsettias. But of course, they have those very dark green leaves and very colorful, what you may call leaves or petals, but they're actually bracts, B-R-A-C-T-S, bracts. And that is a (laughs) plant biology term that refers to something that's not quite a petal, not quite a leaf. So when you're looking at the poinsettia, the bright, colorful foliage or flowers, if you will, are actually bracts. The flowers are usually yellow, and they are way down deep in the center of those bracts. And and even that yellow on top of red, on top of the green leaves, it makes for a great Christmassy color combination. Now, the interesting thing about poinsettias, as you know, they can't live outdoors here in our zone. Uh, We'll talk about what zone they can live outside in. Because they are subtropical plants that are native to Mexico, uh, they have really just evolved as the symbol of Christmas because of those bright festive colors. The shape of the poinsettia flower is said to symbolize the star of Bethlehem. So it's even more than just the color. It's also the shape of the flower that gives us that sort of Christmassy uh, connotation. But as far as getting down to taking care of a poinsettia, be sure not to overwater them. They are susceptible to root rots. They are quite succulent plants. Now, they're not necessarily in the cactus family or the sedum family, but they are quite succulent, which means that they don't need a lot of water. Being from Mexico, uh, areas where it could get very dry, they are okay with going through a little dry spell. Now, poinsettias will let you know when they need water. They will wilt, but it may take them quite some time before they wilt. So be sure to just check on that poinsettia weekly, lifting the plant in its pot and seeing if it's heavy or dry, if it's heavy, uh, sorry, heavy or light. If it's heavy, it's probably fine to uh, not add any more water at that point. But if it is dry, it's a good idea to take it to the sink, douse it real well, give it a bath, essentially let those uh, let that pot drain well before placing it back in its container or on its um, on its dish rather. With the poinsettias this time of year, they usually come wrapped in a foil. the the the, the pot itself is covered in a you know, gold or silver, red, green foil to make it look pretty. Well, never keep your poinsettia in that foil with water hanging out in the foil. The foil will help protect furniture from drippage, 
But when we water poinsettias, as we would water every kind of houseplant, we want to let the excess moisture drain well. You can do that in the uh, uh, kitchen sink, like I said, or take it to the bathtub and water it there, let it drain well, and then place it back in the foil, making sure that there's no excess water hanging out around the plant's roots. That's critical. I have seen many poinsettias die just because they are essentially drowning in that wet soggy foil. So don't throw the foil away. Use it to protect the floor or use it to protect the carpet or the furniture. But be sure we're not using that foil to hold water around the roots. Now, um, the thing about poinsettias is they do need lots of bright light, but filtered. So they do work out well in the house, in a sunny window, a bright window. Uh, However, they can become quite leggy if they don't get enough light. So if you've noticed your poinsettia is kind of lanky, uh, tall but not thick and full, then it may just need more light. Now, having a grow light around for this plant would be quite beneficial. Being from Mexico, the subtropical parts, of course, uh, we're going to have bright light, but it's going to be filtered as if it's growing under trees. Okay, That's kind of the uh, situation we want to recreate. Now, as far as its hardiness zone, now remember folks, hardiness zone is uh, essentially a measure for us gardeners and, well, anybody who wants to make sure that the plants we plant outside can survive outside. So you look at the zones. Uh, We here are in somewhere between seven and eight. I know that in my property, we're at eight. Some folks are in six. Uh, It can be quite different from area to area. So be sure to check out the USDA hardiness zone map for your precise growing location. But the lower the number gets... So here we are at eight or so, seven. The lower we go, the colder our winters are. So five is further north and three is way up there. I know that parts of, say, Wisconsin are three and four. Very cold and a very low USDA hardiness zone number. However, for poinsettias, they can live outdoors in zone nine to 11. (laughs) And still make it year after year. So they are not necessarily hardy at zone 7 and 8. They go outside. The cold weather is just too cold for them. And they will get frozen uh, and they will, they will be dead. They will be dead. So this is definitely a house plant for us as most tropical and subtropical plants are. However, we're noticing that, uh, you know, parts of, of our area were not zone 8. We were all in 6 and 7. And our winters are not as uh, tough as they used to be. We have quite mild winters, so if that continues to follow, some of these tropical plants may be growing outside in our landscapes. Well, gang, today we are talking about plants that remind us of Christmas. Poinsettia was number one, and we've got a long list to go, so hang on through the break, and we will make your landscape and your house feel a little more festive with living plants. Now are you dear old man? Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share 
whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So gang, this morning on New Southern Garden, we're talking about plants that remind us of Christmas, plants that coincide, that follow along with Christmas for one reason or another. Uh, Some of these plants, we've just talked about poinsettia. They make a great house plant, of course. They can decorate your Christmas tree base. You can put uh, beautiful poinsettias around them. You can put them on tabletops. They come in all sizes, uh, plenty of different colors and varieties from, from those beautiful red bracts to white and even pink and variegated. So be sure to think about poinsettias, knowing, though, that they are a tropical plant. They should be treated more like a house plant uh, because they just can't handle our winters. Once you set a poinsettia outside over winter, there's no returning for it. It is definitely on the decline, and it won't be lasting very long. They don't like our cold winters. But there are plenty of plants that are very hardy, Not only will they grow here and handle our winters, but they will grow uh, further north than we are. One of those plants, of course, is holly. And I think it's Bing Crosby, which plenty of other people have sung this song, but the holly and the ivy. And of course, that is a Christmas song that's inspired by plants, talking about the uh, reds and the greens that these plants produce. You're probably familiar with hollies. Because, of course, uh, hollies are a staple in our southern gardens. They are generally evergreen. However, there are some uh, types of hollies that drop their leaves but do carry a red berry on the stem through the winter. So because they stay green, they really uh, just follow suit with Christmas. It's something that we can go outside into the landscape, into the woods, into the garden, and clip and trim and bring indoors for Christmas decorations. Now, most hollies don't really need a lot of maintenance. There are most hollies are, are very disease resistant. There are no uh, notorious or, or difficult diseases to deal with. You may get a few um, white flies or aphids like most plants do, but regardless, they are super easy in the landscape and they can handle some of the harshest winters. Of course, our winters here are not that difficult, but in other places, winters can be rough. And so hollies are just another great plant to grow if you need something evergreen or something with some kind of winter attraction like red berries. Those bright red berries around Christmas time can be amazing. Now, the holly. Speaking in ancient times, the holly was considered uh, good luck because it never dropped its leaves, like it never died over winter. Of course, plants that drop their leaves over winter don't die. Uh, But because it was evergreen and endured year after year, season after season, it was considered good luck. So even in ancient times, people would send holly wreaths to their friends and families to give them just a little good luck. Now, on the uh, cultivation side of hollies, We want to make sure that we plant it in well-draining soil. Most hollies, uh, they're not too particular on the soil type, but some hollies can handle boggy, wet areas. There are some native hollies that are deciduous that drop their leaves, like the winter berry holly. That grows, they grow on the edge of ponds or bogs, but they all can grow in well-draining soil and... 
they do like acidic soil. That's another reason why hollies have made a statement in our southern gardens, because our soil tends to be, at least in the Piedmont area, uh, fairly acidic. We have very old soils, very small particles of soils. Our, the, the mineral component of our soils have been weathered down so much that they tend to be on the acidic side, which is perfect, which is wonderful for hollies. If, you tend, if your soil tends to be alkaline, if you have a sweeter soil and your pH is higher than usual down here in the Piedmont, uh, your leaves may turn yellow. The, the holly probably won't die, but it will look anemic because the pH... Uh, is restricting the plant, the pH of the soil sort of restricts the plant from pulling in nutrition, pulling in nitrogen, pulling in phosphorus, potassium, and all the other micronutrients. And so they tend to be just on the chlorotic side, we say, that yellow, not the dark green, but that sort of off yellow color that nobody likes. Now, talking about the hardiness of hollies, Many of these can grow as far north as zone five, and that's pretty far up there, pretty far up there. So it's a good plant for uh, many areas to grow and to be grown in. Uh, They grow from zone five to nine. You get to the tropical areas, and it's just a little bit too much for them. But the other benefit to holly is that they can generally grow in bright, full sun, and they can also grow into some shady sites, definitely partial shade. Now, the deeper we go into the shade with hollies, the thinner they become. But there are some hollies, like luster leaf holly. Luster leaf holly is almost strictly a shade holly. They have these super big leaves with little serrations on the edge. Yes, those little kind of prickles. They're, they're not super sharp, though. Uh, but they have these big leaves that can just absorb more light when it's growing under a shady site. And hollies hybridize very well. So when you're going to the plant nurseries, garden centers, you're going to find a lot of hollies that are, are hybrids. And they come with benefits from each one. For instance, that luster leaf holly was hybridized with another holly to make a holly called Emily Bruner. And Emily Bruner has these broad leaves like the luster leaf. And if you have a shady site, not bright full sun, just know that something like that hybrid Emily Bruner is going to look thick and full even under the shadiest conditions. So again, for the soil, we want the soil to be moist moist, uh, but well-drained. And we do want the soil to be slightly acidic. Now, once you get a stand of hollies going and a stand of hollies growing, each Christmas you can go out there with your pruning shears, snip, 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 harvest some of those berries, harvest some of those evergreen leaves, bring them in to make centerpieces, decorate your Christmas tree, make wreaths out of them, make garland out of them. They mix well with some of the conifers, the evergreen conifers like cypress and arborvitae because of the textural component. Hollies have very broad leaves where the conifers have those tiny, thin, small leaves. And putting those side by side, even though they're the same shade of green, will give you a wonderful texture. So don't forget about the holly because the holly is a wonderful plant in the garden. And of course, it's a wonderful plant for Christmas time. Now, how about that plant that uh, gets people kissing all over the place, the mistletoe? The mistletoe, of course, is... It's that traditional thing. My grand, my nanny, my grandma, uh, she had a artificial mistletoe that she would hang uh, somewhere in a door frame, somewhere in the house. Each year it was a little different. And it was wonderful for her because she'd get you under there and give you a big kiss on the cheek. And so mistletoe, of course, gets that tradition of kissing under the mistletoe during the holidays. But 
remember that just like mistletoe encourages people to get up close and personal, mistletoe itself naturally gets up close and personal with other plants because mistletoe is classified as a parasitic plant. We talk about parasites all the time. We talk about parasites, the human body, parasites in animals and in our pets, and there are parasites for plants, but rarely do we see where a plant itself is the parasite. You see what the mistletoe does is it attaches to a host tree down here in the south. We, I've seen them in cherry trees. I've seen them in a lot of oak trees, uh, Bradford pears, uh, which is okay. We can kill off those Bradford pears if we need to. But regardless, the uh, parasitic mistletoe attaches itself via this kind of root-like structure uh, that's called hostorium. And the hostorium invade into the, uh, the vascular system of the plant just below the bark. And all the time, uh, this mistletoe is sucking out sugar and sucking out water from the plant that it is attached to. Now, the foliage of mistletoe is nice because it's evergreen. And when you come across a plant that is female, they come in male and female varieties, uh, the female plants will produce those white berries that, of course, are classic for that mistletoe look. Now, not many people are trying to grow mistletoe. But if you are, if you're trying to encourage it in your trees, just know that they require very little care. Uh, Of course, the tree that they're growing on should be established, not a young one, and a healthy one, not a weak one. Being the the fact that it is a parasitic plant, uh, it, it can damage a plant that is already unhealthy or weak. But just know if you have a strong oak tree or a strong maple, cherry, even a Bradford pear, just let that mistletoe go and let it grow. It's not going to kill the plant. It is not going to kill the tree that it's growing on. But it does, it does have that parasitic nature. So it's trying to. Uh, They can grow in partial shade, of course, because they're growing under the foliage of plants. They're hardy to zone five to nine. So you will see them all over the southeast. And of course, if you get caught underneath it, Just be sure you're okay with kissing uh, whoever's standing beside you. Hang on tight, gang. We've got more plants to come that give us that feeling of Christmas. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So gang, this morning we are getting in the Christmas spirit by talking about plants that coincide, that go hand in hand with Christmas. We've already talked about the probably most popular, particularly for indoors, the poinsettia or poinsettia. I don't know how you want to say it. I say it poinsettia because there's a double T there. But then, of course, we talked about the evergreen hollies and the deciduous hollies. They give you those green leaves with the red berries. What could go more? with Christmas than a plant that has both green and red components to it. That's Christmas. And then we left off talking about that parasitic plant, that plant that attaches to stems and and right below the bark of bigger trees, the mistletoe. The mistletoe, of course, 
that whole kissing thing around Christmas time, that's where that plant comes from, from the high up in the tree somewhere, sucking the life out of another tree. But don't worry, mistletoe won't really kill a healthy and established plant. But it does give us that, uh, that, that Christmas feeling. You know, not that any of these plants really are meant for Christmas, but over the time and over history, and we're talking about a little history of, of these plants today, but over the course of time and history, they've become a part of our Christmas tradition. And many of these are going to be great plants to uh, keep in the landscape. Some not great plants to keep in the landscape. But regardless, uh, we're, we're going to talk about the ins and outs of them all. So the next plant I like to talk about is actually one we don't see very often in the South. And that's you. Not me, but you. Y-E-W. You. Now, these U's are very well used in gardens in Europe. Uh, for certain reasons uh, we probably don't have the best climate for them not saying you couldn't get by with growing them but particularly over in Europe they will you use you <laughs> that's is hard to say they will use you as a hedge it's a thick evergreen conifer with tiny little thin strap like leaves and they respond well to pruning they get dense they get full and so particularly in Europe, they use them as those traditional classic hedges like you see in those formal gardens. But the other interesting thing about the yew plant is that they have these very vivid red berries. Red berries, evergreen foliage, again, just like hollies. It's got that Christmas look. Now, they're slow growing. That's probably part of the reason we don't use them here in America because we can't wait. <laughs> they maybe only grow a few inches a year. But with that being said, because they grow slow, they don't need a lot of trimming and they're fairly low maintenance plants. Uh, some parts of the world, uh, this could be used as a Christmas tree because they have those little green sprigs and they've got strong stems that can hold ornaments um i guess they sort of look similar to the fraser fir uh, but you could utilize the yew as a christmas tree as well now probably the reason we don't do so well with them in the south is that they need sharp soil drainage if they stay too wet particularly over winter i'm sure uh, they won't linger for very long and of course if you live anywhere near us here around Cleveland, Northeast Georgia area, you've gotten plenty of rain for about two weeks now. And that kind of moisture over winter in our clay-based heavy clay soils is not going to be ideal for the you. But if you can get them, give them sharp drainage, uh, then they don't need much more than that. You give them some annual fertilization, prune them for shape, and they will grow. I just think we're going to struggle here in the south with the yew plant. Uh, I've seen some on the UGA campus when we were when I was studying plants at the university. Uh, they probably weren't. They were old, but they probably weren't the best looking plant. So uh, nothing to to uh, to write home to mama, as they would say. But the thing about you is they're very diverse as far as their hardiness zone goes. They can grow as low as two, folks. Two is way up there. Two is very cold, but they can grow as far south as 10. 
which of course is like a tropical zone. But that may de depend on the variety that's being grown. The other benefit to the U plant is they are full sun plants or partial shade. They can, like a boxwood, be planted in full sun or planted under trees if needed. The U is a very Christmassy plant, but like I said, it doesn't grow so well here. So I would um, give you an alternative. And that is called the creeping plum yew. It's not a true yew. Its botanical name is Cephalotaxis. It comes from like Japan, I believe. But regardless, it is a very diverse group of plants. Uh, some of them are like ground covers. They grow just maybe a couple of feet tall, but they may get five, six feet wide. So they can fill in broad spaces, but not give much height. They have a very similar leaf to the yew, very thin, uh, very strap-like. They still give you that con coniferous Christmassy feel. So definitely the Cephalotaxis is going to be one that I would recommend in place of yew for the South, because they do not have that struggle with the drainage issue. We are notorious for not having great drainage in the South, particularly in the Piedmont area where we are. And so the Cephalotaxis is much easier to grow under those conditions. Really, they have no issue growing about anywhere. Uh, Cephalotaxis is not going to want a bunch of sunlight. They could grow in bright sun, but they tend to look yellow. And if you want the best look, give them sun in the morning but shade in the afternoon. Now, I'm going to talk about a no-no plant. This plant, of course, uh, is not one that we would recommend to plant in the landscape, perhaps using it in a container where it can be watched over, and if it gets too out of hand, it can be removed and thrown away or put on the burn pile. I'm talking about ivy, English ivy in particular. Again, thanks to Bing Crosby, the holly and the ivy has become a popular plant, two popular plants for Christmas. Uh, it's got that festive star-like leaf. I mean, stars go with Christmas, and so do the star-like leaves of the holly plant. It's just another plant that symbolizes new growth, uh, brings good luck by warding off evil spirits. But in the landscape, it is not a good luck plant, because in our area, the English ivy spreads like wildfire. It is an invasive plant. We do not encourage not encouraged to plant any more than we already have. We have some um, on our property that I'm sort of battling with. It's already growing into a tree. It's killed that tree back, and I don't want it to spread to other trees. But that doesn't mean that I can't go out there and trim uh, the foliage, bring them in for decoration, uh, bring them in for centerpieces and wreaths and garlands, because they do have that classic Christmas look. Uh, you can actually keep these wreaths sort of going throughout the year, you know, with English ivy because it's evergreen. You could make a wreath out of it. And if you happen to have an invasive stand already growing, the more you trim it, the more you cut it back, the more damage you'll be giving it, which is eventually, hopefully, going to help eradicate it. Ivy is very vigorous. Uh, it's got a vigorous growth habit. It crawls across the ground. Anywhere the stem touches soil or a moist spot, it is going to take root and make a new plant. And of course, they can also climb trees, structures, buildings, brick. They have these holdfasts that sort of bore into whatever they're climbing, and they can just keep going higher and higher and higher. 
does give you that vertical growth, but too much of it. So I'm not encouraging you to plant this English ivy, but it's hard to talk about Christmas plants without mentioning ivy. Um, With all that being said, the English ivy has two distinct leaf forms or leaf shapes. And and this will help you identify if you have English ivy or not. Now, there's uh, several times people will come to me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. And they'll bring in these cuttings of plants and have me identify them for them. And many times we get in the adult or the mature version of English ivy. Now, there's, like I said, two main forms. We've got the juvenile form and we've got the adult or the mature form. The juvenile form has that sort of hand-shaped, star-shaped with five or six little points coming off of it, very lobed leaves. But as the plant matures, the leaves transition to a new shape. They're more rounded and they sort of come to a tip on the point. So sometimes when we're looking high up in the canopy, uh, because up there is where the, uh, uh, the plant is putting out these mature versions of the leaves, we look at it and we say, that doesn't look like English ivy. But many times the folks who bring in these cuttings to me at the nursery, I say, well, you've got English ivy. This is just the adult version. So if you're trying to eradicate English ivy, be sure to clip some for the holidays first, but Be on the lookout for those two distinct leaf forms because they can be confusing. Whether you have one form or the other or both forms on your plants, you've still got English ivy, and it's going to be critical to not let it go crazy and wild. Now, unfortunately, English ivy can grow as cold as zone uh, hardiness zone 4 and all the way down into 9. Unfortunately, folks who planted these 100 years ago, they're evergreen, they, they covered the ground, they climbed things. They didn't realize what an invasive species it would be. So, of course, uh, we've got this situation where we're left with a lot of old plants that have just taken over trees, forest, woodlines, you name it. Uh, they are growing there. And, unfortunately for the invasiveness of it, they can grow in full uh, partial shade to full, full shade. You don't see them much in full sun, uh, but it's not it's not impossible. It's not impossible. That's for sure. Let's talk about another house plant. Um, we, we, we grow these at the, at, the, at the nursery and people love them. Uh, you see them this time of year. Usually we grow them all year, but most people are asking for this strange cactus that we give the common name a Christmas cactus. And of course, the Christmas cactus is it's sort of an unexpected plant for the holiday season uh, because it, it, does, it doesn't have those common evergreen needles and the bright red berries, but its colorful flowers bloom during Christmas time, and they come in shades of pink, red, white, sort of everything in between uh, that group. As a matter of fact, the pinks that we usually grow are, are quite hot. They're like a highlighter pink, usually. And it is a succulent, okay? It is a cactus. But there are two main groups of cactus or cacti. The first group is the desert cactus. Now, this is the classic cactus with the thorns, the spines uh, that you would see growing out in the desert. They rarely get water. They get full bright sun because there's no other trees shading them. Uh, And of course, they can hold and maintain copious amounts of water so that when in the desert it doesn't rain for an extended period of time, those cactus can survive. But then there's another, and these are the strange group of cactus. Uh, These cactus that Christmas cactus falls into are called the forest cactus. And the forest cactus, they can undergo uh, periods of dry weather, and they can sort of 
grow high up in the air on tree branches and bark where uh, not much soil or water is. So they've adapted in such a way that they can grow in these extreme conditions, but they particularly grow under trees in the forest in shade. And that's why Christmas cactus makes such a good houseplant, in particular because it can grow in shady conditions, and of course, in the house, it's like growing under trees. All we have are a few windows to give it light. But the Christmas cactus is one of those forest cactus. They do bloom sort of when nothing else does in the winter. But if you're growing Christmas cactus and you haven't gotten many blooms for the past year or two or more, be sure that during the growing season, during spring and during summer, when it is warm outside, Put those Christmas cactus on a shady patio under some shady trees. Make sure they don't get bright sun. But just being outdoors, getting that filtered light through the trees or ambient light uh, from around a shady porch, that will stimulate them to set even more buds at Christmas time. If they live their whole life indoors, they usually don't bloom that well. But Christmas cactus is a wonderfully unexpected plant for Christmas. Beautiful, bright foliage and uh, flowers. Hang on tight, gang. We've got more Christmas flowers and plants after this. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So, gang, this morning, thanks for hanging out through that break. We've been talking about plants that remind us of Christmas. They've sort of been partnered with Christmas for one reason or another. We've talked about mm, Christmas cactus before the break. I was mentioning that if you want to make sure your Christmas cactus blooms well around Christmas, you got to keep it outside during the summer while it's warm. They cannot handle cold temperatures, so you got to bring it in when fall kicks in. But otherwise, keep it under a shady site, under some trees, under a patio, uh, something that's covered because that ambient light they pick up will help them. And just the being, a, being in the atmosphere is going to help them set their buds, acquiring enough energy to bloom heavily over the Christmas season. Don't water Christmas cactus too much, of course. They are succulents. They are a cactus. They're just a forest cactus. They can handle more moisture than desert cactus, but they don't need a whole lot of water. Now, I would like to talk about some other things that we tend to bring in the house over the uh, holiday season. And those are bulbs, bulbous plants. Of course, there are some, uh, you know, plenty of bulbs. We plant outside tulips and daffodils and all this. But with bulbs, you can do strange things to bulbs to force them to bloom out of season. And that's why bulbs have found a place cr- at Christmas time. Particularly two uh, that I can think of is the amaryllis 
and the paper whites. Now, paper whites are uh, essentially a daffodil, but they're small, small little white flowers. Some have inflections of, of uh, uh, yellow and orangey, but regardless, these two bulbs are easy to force to bloom whenever you want them to. <laughs> and it's this time of year that you may be shopping around and you see these little packages of amaryllis bulbs or paper white bulbs. They come with a pot, they come with a soil, and you can gift those or take them home yourself, work them into the pot, do what it says about putting them in some cold weather, putting them uh, in some warm weather, weather sort of in the shade for a while, uh, or in the dark in some cases. And in a few weeks, you've got a blossom from a plant that normally would bloom sometime in the late winter, early spring. So I think that they do make great house plants for winter just because these flowers are so big, so bright, so colorful, that the gray days of winter, you know, what we tend to get around Christmas time can really, really be sparked up and just create some more festivity in the air. You see, what happens, say, with amaryllis, um, it, it does take an amaryllis about six weeks after the bulbs are planted to flower. So if you plant amaryllis bulbs in a container and you want them to bloom at Christmas time, you can plant them sometime at the first of November, so middle of November, and surely by Christmas you will have forced that plant, that bulb, to bloom and put out flowers. And the same kind of goes with the... Um, with the paper whites, the narcissus, uh, they take about four to six weeks. So you could get a jump on that. Of course, it was probably too close to Christmas now to try this. But go ahead and and purchase some bulbs if you want to force these to bloom. They do bloom well indoors. You see, the thing about a bulb that is blooming is that most of it, most of that bloom, is being energized from the energy that it created last year and stored in the bulb. So, forcing a bulb to grow and bloom will work for one year. But after that, we need to get the bulb outdoors, allow it to absorb light all spring, summer, into fall uh, uh, the following year, and then we can lift those bulbs, bring them in the house, and have them sort of forced to bloom one more time in the winter. But they've got to have a recharge. If we just force bulbs to bloom and bloom, they will not last for very long. When you're forcing these bulbs, all you really have to do is barely set the basal plate. Now, the basal plate is where the roots are. All you have to do is sort of cover the basal plate. The bulb can still be sitting up proud on the soil, or I forced them at my, uh, back when I was a kid just in some gravel, sort of a gravel pot, uh, sort of keeping a little moisture down at the bottom of the gravel so that the plant's roots can absorb that. But you can do all kind of strange and creative and unusual things with these plants by forcing them indoors, enjoying those blooms for this Christmas season or winter season. And then as soon as spring gets here, or even uh, earlier really, technically you could pop them in the ground and let them do their natural thing outdoors. But I have found, of course, that the amaryllis and the paper whites are wonderful to do that with. They are perennial, so they'll come back year after year if you plant them outdoors. Now let's talk about some fruit trees, because fruit trees are going to be sort of, there's one in particular that's critical uh, for Christmas, and that's a pear tree, right? Uh, what does the 12 days of Christmas say 
a partridge in a pear tree. So even if you don't have a partridge, you can still grow a pear tree. When it comes to pears, there are early, mid-season, late-season varieties of pears which are going to help you extend your harvest even into late fall and sometimes even later if we don't have a uh, terrible winter course that is climate depending but the late harvest of pears is really why they are seen in holiday dishes i mean back in the day before there were freezers and refrigerators yes people would can and people could preserve things by drying fruit dehydrating fruit but you could because the pear is harvested so late and stores so well like in a a root cellar uh, just even a cold garage these pears can linger into the holiday season and be eaten fresh I remember my grandma, of course, uh, my nanny would make pear salad, which is that strange concoction of half a pear, a dollop of mayonnaise, and shredded cheddar cheese on top, and, and a maraschino cherry to garnish it. I think it's a Great Depression recipe from what I had read about it. Uh, But pears do make wonderful holiday dishes, and they can be eaten fresh because they're harvested so late. Now, pear trees are usually medium-sized trees. Definitely get at least a semi-dwarf. At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, all of our fruit trees are on semi-dwarf rootstock, so that tops it out at about 20 to 30 feet. But you can, at maybe specialty nurseries and definitely online, find true dwarf varieties that may not get any taller than a person. Now, these wonderful fruit trees, they bear fragrant flowers that give way to the fruits. The flowers are very early. Uh, They come in as early as late winter and early spring. But in our climate, where it's warm and humid, uh, they are susceptible to diseases. So like with most other fruits, we need to make sure that if we don't want our plants to fail or our crop to fail, that we are preventing disease and trying to manage it if We do indeed get disease on our plants. So what will help is to not plant pears too densely. Give them room. At least plant them 18 feet apart or more. Well, no less than 15, okay? I'll help you uh, guys with small small lawns out. But uh, definitely 15 to 20 feet apart or more to get good airflow around them. We don't want to overwater them to where the soil is soggy, but we do want well-drained soil. So you can easily grow a pear in the south with a little bit of assistance. You can harvest those fruits late enough that they will store well for your holiday dishes. And otherwise, they can make a great shade tree for uh, shady plants to grow underneath. It. If you don't have shade, if you're going to have one ornamental tree in the landscape, you might as well go with a fruiting tree like the pear tree because they'll give you those flowers, great fall color, and fruits. Well, gang, today we've talked about plants that are just like Christmas, that go with Christmas. And I think next week, I've still got a long list. We're going to talk even more about Christmassy plants. Well, have a good week getting ready for Christmas and get into the landscape once it dries out a bit. Get out there, stay well, grow well for New Southern Garden. My name is Nathan Wilson. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.